I want to I want to recap where we've come in this this journey together this last few days. We talked about sin and the reality of sin ever since Genesis, the fall of mankind, we have been marked by sin. And it's become in many ways it's become an identity because All of us are wrapped in it. None of us can get out of it on our own. We're trapped in it. The Bible teaches in Romans that we are dead in our sin. And it's more than just what we do. Now it's part of who we are. And God couldn't just destroy sin because that would mean to destroy us. But on the cross, God's love and his justice met. His wrath for sin was poured out on Jesus. Jesus took the sin of you and I that wrapped us up, the sin that kept us dead in our transgressions. And he took that sin and he took it upon himself when he went to the cross. He bore that sin and paid for it. On the cross, he declared to telestai, which means the debt has been paid in full. The debt that we owed for our sin was paid. But here's the problem. To be in the presence of a holy God, it requires righteousness. Which if my sin is removed then it's just like it's a clean slate. But what about the righteousness? What about the perfect life that I can't live? The Bible teaches that by his death, our sins are forgiven, and by his resurrection, we are actually justified. That Jesus doesn't just take on our sin, he clothes us in his perfection, his righteousness. So when God sees us, He doesn't see the flaws and the mistakes. He sees the perfection of Jesus. That's the truth of the gospel. That's the message that God has shared with us, the truth of what God has done in history, and he's entrusted it to us. Now, my question for you, does this change me? Yeah, it actually does. That was a trick question, sorry. I got an easier one for you. It does change me because the Bible says it's not just that he, he clothes us, he actually... He gives us a new heart that reflects the reality of his righteousness that he's clothed us with. It's a gift that he removes this heart of stone and he gives us this new life that if anyone is in Christ, it says in Corinthians, if anyone is in Christ, meaning you said yes to following Jesus, he says, behold, you're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. You are new And new means different. You are brand new. You are no longer a slave to sin. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You are adopted into the family of God. You are the sons and the daughters of the king. So can we boast about this? Can we boast about this? Can we be proud? Can we boast and go, man, look at me. I'm clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. The answer is no. I did nothing to earn this. I didn't work for this. This was a gift. This is all about, not my goodness, this is all about the goodness of God. This is about, not my work, this is about the work that he's done. And now I get to experience this new identity. You, if you said yes to Jesus last night or at any point in your life, you said yes to this gift, you've been given a new identity. But as you know, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, there's this battle that ensues, right? And all of a sudden, we're in this fight. And this battle that ensues, it's this fight for, okay, I've been clothed in the righteousness of Jesus, but I'm really familiar with the old ways. And I, I kind of, 
I kind of remember this, and this is natural to me, and I, I kind of want to go back to that, but yet, I'm a new creation. And so there's this tension that exists for the life of the believer, for the person who's put their trust in Jesus, that yes, I am righteous, but, but also I, I want to go back to these things. And I'm tempted to go back to these things because they're familiar. When God rescued the people of Israel out of Egypt, do you guys remember the story? It's in the Exodus. All these miraculous signs and then, you know, Pharaoh's chasing after Moses and God says, hey, put the thing in the thing and then this and then they go across and then and everybody's dead. And we're like, wow, it's amazing. We made a movie and, you know, he's carrying around the Ten Commandments. Okay, so that, God rescues them out of slavery in Egypt. They're in the wilderness and they're like, ooh. God's made them into this nation and they're like, ooh, yeah, but, but remember Egypt? Sometimes they fed us. Wasn't that nice? I mean, God's providing everything that they need, yet they're like, but it's a little scary. Maybe we should go back to that old way. And so for 40 years, they're no longer slaves, but God has to teach them how to live as free people. They've been set free, but they still think and live like slaves. And so God teaches them how to live free. When we say yes to Jesus, we're clothed in his righteousness, but our temptation is to go back to Egypt, to go back to the old ways. And so there's this battle that ensues. But here's the beauty of the gospel. Here's the beauty of what we're going to read today. Is that when we're in this ring, which if you're like, oh, I'm not in a spiritual battle. Um, if you say you're not in a spiritual battle, or you're not in this battle, uh, you're still in the ring. And when that bell rings, your bell's going to get rung. Does this make sense? You can say all day, no, I'm not in a fight. I'm not in a fight. Yes, you are. But the beauty of what Jesus taught and the beauty of what Jesus promised is that you and I don't step into that ring alone. Let me read John 14. Jesus says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you. He's talking to his disciples, who will be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. He's invisible. He's spirit. He's God. Without any limitations. And neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you everything I have said to you. When the temptation goes to go back, he's going to go, oh, yeah, but remember, I've set you free from that. You're not a slave to that. Live as a son of the king. Live as a daughter of the, of the king. And then Jesus says this, peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. How many here, you could use a little more peace in your life? Just raise a hand, just quick survey. Okay. Here's where lack of peace comes from. Because Jesus says, man, I want to I give you my peace. I want to I leave you with, with real peace for me, when I'm not at peace, here's, here's what's happened. I've turned my focus to, to something else. I've turned my trust to something else other than God and his promises. When I'm not at peace, it's because I need to adjust my trust. I'm trusting in something that is unstable or I'm not doing what God's called me to do. And so there, there's this lack of peace within because I know what God wants me to do, but I'm going back to the old ways. If you want more peace, Jesus says, I'm gonna give you peace and peace is not about circumstances. Peace is about a person. 
It's about the presence of God. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. Later on in John 16, he says, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear, talking to his disciples. But when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. We read this last night, but later on he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. So this battle that's raging, we're in the ring, the fight is going on. Where's the opposition coming from? Three places. One place that the opposition's gonna come from is within. See, we still have this, what the Bible calls the flesh. We've been given a new nature. We've been given the spirit of God. We've been given a new identity, yet the flesh still remains until one day we graduate to be with Jesus and we receive new bodies free from the presence of sin. We still have this temptation to go back to the old ways. And I gotta tell you guys, you need to understand this. There's a lot of lies in this world, but nobody will lie to you more than you will lie to yourself. There are things that I have rationalized. Do you know what rationalizing is? It's when you tell yourself rational lies. There are things that I have rationalized and gone, you know what, that's not actually too bad. I think it's okay. You know, I look at what everybody else is doing. I'm not as bad as that person, so it's okay for me. And what I'm doing is I'm lying to myself. This is why it's so important to have the word of God. This is why it's so important to have godly others in your life to go, Robert, you're being an idiot. Like, that is not okay. You're going back to the old ways. You're going back to being a slave to whatever that thing is. Stop it. Nobody will lie to you more than you lie to yourself. You're no longer a slave to sin. You are a child of the most high God. Second area is going to be the world, the culture around us. Ever since Adam and Eve... We've been in a fallen world. And the sin of people, it affects culture, it affects the beliefs, it affects the values, it affects the language, the things that, that we celebrate, all of that is affected in the culture around us. Paul writes in Romans 12 too, he says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. Meaning there's a pattern to this world. There's a certain way the world wants you to go, the world wants you to follow a certain order. Paul says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed. How do we do that? By the renewing of your mind. Taking the old thoughts and saying, you know what? That's not a Jesus thought. That's a flesh thought. That is an old me. That is a slave to sin thought. I need to replace that with the Jesus thought. I want to renew my mind. How do we do that? We need to know the truth. We're going to talk about how the Spirit helps us with that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. And when we do that, let me tell you, you will experience peace. The world can be in absolute chaos all around you, and you can be at absolute peace. The messaging, the values of our culture, guys, it's ultimately going to push you away from God, not towards him. And there is a divide in culture, and it's getting wider, and the world's going to say, no, 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 we should all go this way. And, and to follow Jesus, it's going to feel like, oh, man, everybody's leaving without me. Why am I still doing this? And the culture's going to want you to go that direction. You stay faithful, and you will experience peace that surpasses understanding. So there's opposition from within, opposition from the world. Third, there's a spiritual war. There's a spiritual war. Bible teaches that there's more than just one realm, that there's a heavenly realm, there's a spiritual realm. It's not just what you can see, touch, feel, that there are things going on around us, and we have an enemy. 
Jesus says this about the enemy, referring to him in John chapter 8. says he, talking about Satan, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. There's a spiritual battle going on, and the battleground is the battleground for the mind. And the tactic of the enemy is to plant these little seeds of lies that you're not good enough, that you're not valuable unless you do these things. Those are lies that are planted. That is the spiritual attack that's going on. And the very first lie and one of the most prominent lies is this, that God can't be trusted. That's what Satan said to Eve in the garden. Did God really say? Oh, God's holding out on you and, and he's calling into question that, that can God really be trusted? Is God really a truth speaker? And that's still the lie today. Why is that his tactic? In the very first video that we saw, those truth be told videos, they, they reference this. This is a quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Why is that? We tend, by a secret law of the soul, to move toward our mental image of God. Let me unpack that for you. If we think of God as a disappointed parent, we'll see ourselves as failing kids. If you think of God and you picture an unjust king, we will live in rebellion. If when you picture God in your mind, you think that maybe he's just some kind of a genie, that, that we just, God, I wish for this and I wish for this and he doesn't do it. And we're like, well, maybe I didn't pray it right. And so I pray again and I get disappointed either in myself or I get frustrated with God. That's gonna be the end result and we're gonna turn away and walk away. God is not some cosmic genie. God is the creator of all things, yet he loves you. No matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what's been done to you, he's invited you into a relationship with him. If you think of God as an angry judge, we'll hide. But if instead we, we think of God for who he truly is, the purest embodiment of the most beautiful, amazing love, who humbled himself and gave his life out of love for you, who would sacrifice everything so that you would be back where you were created to be, part of the family of God, that his love and his justice, that wrath would be met on the cross so that you didn't have to absorb that. Jesus absorbs that for you. That's the God who exists in our universe. When we understand that, listen, we want to be in this relationship with him. We don't have to be afraid of him. We don't have to be like, oh, God's just gonna judge me and be angry with me all the time. No, God wants to embrace you with the love of a father. When my kids are learning to walk, I remember they were terrible at it and they would start walking and eventually they'd fall down. You know what I did? Picked them up, spanked them, told them, no, you get it right. This is how you walk and you do it like this. And they would, fall. I did not do that, guys. Please don't call anybody. I don't wanna hear, I don't get an email. No, you know what I did is I celebrated. I went, wow, you took a step. Way to go, buddy. I'd help him up. Sometimes dust them off and we would do it again. And he would fall. I would celebrate him. Man, way to try again. Man, let's do it again. See if we can take two steps. The reason some of us are afraid to trust God is because we have a wrong image of him. We've bought into the lie. 
that God is not good, that God cannot be trusted. Listen, God loves you right now. He knows everything about you. He knows the secret things that nobody else knows, and God loves you. There's nothing you could do that would make him love you any less. He loves you. He loves you. It's your heavenly father. Don't let the lies of the enemy change that. Because also how we see God actually directly affects how we see ourselves. You realize this? The way you see yourself is a direct reflection of how you see God. I want to unpack this. Ruth Chow Simons writes this. She says, our self-esteem mirrors how we esteem God. It mirrors how we esteem God. So here is the secret to true self-esteem. The higher we esteem, that means the higher we view, the higher we revere God. Why is it important that we worship? Because we are esteeming God, because he is worthy of worship, because we are getting our hearts aligned with the reality of who he is, and we sing those praises. The higher esteem we esteem God, the higher we esteem ourselves. The higher we esteem, honor, revere God for who he is, the truer our view of ourselves. Listen to this. If our highly esteemed father considers us worthy of rescue, who are we to argue or complain? Do you know the value of something? It's the price somebody's willing to pay. Do you know what that means for you? God so loved the world. He gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's how valuable you are. There's nothing in this world that can devalue you. You have been placed in the highest value by what God is willing to pay for you. Jesus actually prays for us, and he prays for this battle in John 17. And he's praying out loud. He's actually saying these words out loud, close enough where the disciples can hear it. I know that because they wrote it down. Here's what he says. I'm coming to you now. This is Jesus talking to the Father. But I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. Jesus goes, man, I want them to experience the joy I have. He's about to go to the cross. And he's going, man, I'm just so full of joy. How is that? He's seeing the bigger picture. He prays, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. He's talking about the disciples. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified, meaning that they be set apart, that they live in the identity that they have been given. The same spirit that ascended and descended onto Jesus at baptism, that Jesus was full of the spirit in ministry, the same spirit that rose Christ from the dead, that same spirit for anybody who has said yes to following Jesus, that same spirit has moved within your life. Here's what happened at Pentecost. Jesus said, I'm gonna send a helper. And by the way, it's gonna be better that the helper comes than just me be here. Because you might think, man, wouldn't it be great if Jesus was still here? Here's the challenge. When Jesus was here, wherever Jesus went, there he was. I'm going to say that again. Maybe you didn't catch that. 
Wherever Jesus went, there he was. Jesus, after the resurrection, ascends into heaven. He had told his disciples to go to Jerusalem. There they are at Pentecost, and they're waiting. And it says this sound, like these rushing waters came from heaven, and there was these tongues of fire that, listen to this word, separated and were over each person. Why is that important? Because now wherever followers of Jesus go, there the Spirit of God is. Where when Jesus was here, wherever Jesus went, there he was. Now wherever followers of Jesus go, there he is. That's why he says it's better. This is not a one-on-one, -on -one, but this is going to be a one-on-one -on -one relationship that I am inviting you into. And it's going to be so good, Jesus says. And Jesus would transform the world through his church. And then Jesus prayed, not just for his disciples that were there, he prayed for you and for me. Can I, can I get the name of just one person who said yes to Jesus last night? Matthew. Matthew. I heard Matthew. I heard one over here as well. Andy? Danny. What is it? Danny. Danny. Danny and Matthew. Some good biblical names in this school. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for Matthew and for Danny. Jesus prayed for you. Jesus prayed for you. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for Matthew, for Danny, for those who said yes last night, for those who have said yes to following Jesus, for Robert, for Jay. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, Jesus prayed, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Jesus says, man, may they experience the dance. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Last night, there was this moment we looked up at the stars. You guys remember that? How cool was that? I love these moments that are just unique. Have you ever, have you ever walked in a, in a sunrise? Raise your hand if you've ever walked in a, a sunrise and just seen all the different colors. Okay, most, most of us, you guys are from California. How many of you have ever walked in the, the light of the sunset? All of you, I'm guessing, okay. How many of you have ever walked under the starlight? How many of you have ever walked under a street light? How many of you have walked under the moonlight? No, you haven't. Science class, here we go. There is no such thing as moonlight. All it is is sunlight reflected off the moon. You realize that? The moon doesn't produce any light. Sorry, I tricked you. That was on purpose. But here's what I want you to think of. When you look at the moon, when you're walking around at night and you see the moon and, and you see it coming up on the horizon and it's massive and, and maybe you've had those moments where it's been pitch black but the moon is so bright that you can see shadows around you. That's actually sunlight that you're seeing. Here's what the Christian life is practically speaking. God is the source. God is the light. Jesus is the hope of the world. But in his sense of humor and in his sovereignty, he's called us to be reflectors of that light in the world. 
that the Christian life, practically speaking, it's us learning to receive the love, the mercy, the grace that is offered to us from Jesus. But not to keep it for ourselves, to reflect that light into the world around us. That's how we fight in this battle. It's not just about our personal holiness. It's about the world that desperately needs Jesus. And he's called us to be ambassadors of that light, to be reflectors of the righteousness of Jesus to the world around us. And we have help in this battle, help from the Holy Spirit. Here's how the Holy Spirit helps us. Jesus talked about this, this thing that is living and active, the Bible. The Holy Spirit helps us understand to remember the truth that God has given us here. When we read it, there will be things. There's moments that I'll read a passage and something will jump out to me. And I don't know why that thing's jumping out to me, but, but God's speaking to me in that moment. The Holy Spirit is doing that. And I can be at that exact same passage a day later, a week later, a year later, and something else is gonna speak to me. Something else is gonna jump out to me. And I'm not changing the interpretation of it. It's just that there's another part of it that now is emphasized in that moment. That's the Holy Spirit working. Which if you wanna experience that, here's what you gotta do. You have to open it up. Say, God, I want to learn. God, I want you to speak. And the Holy Spirit helps us understand the word. Now, some people have gotten in the habit of taking this and turning it into binoculars and looking at everybody else and judging everybody else through this thing. That's not what this was designed to be. This is designed to be a mirror where we look into God's word and we let it reflect back on us and go, okay, am I living in the reality of who I am or am I going back to the old ways? Let this be a mirror. Look at yourself through the mirror of this word. Don't use this as a weapon. Don't use this to judge people around you. Use this to look at your own life and allow the Holy Spirit to do the work that he wants to do in your life. Second area that the Holy Spirit helps us is through wisdom. The Bible talks a whole lot about wisdom. There's a whole book written to students. It's called Proverbs. And it's written specifically for you from somebody who's older and wiser going, hey, let me give you some wisdom, that wisdom is a guide. See, sometimes there's things in the Bible that are very clear and it's like, obviously, yeah, this is right or wrong, but there's a whole lot of things in life that are in this gray area. So what do we do? We ask the Holy Spirit for wisdom. James says, hey, if you lack wisdom, ask God, he'll give it to you. Seek wisdom from the adults that you have around you. Last night, uh, for the guys, there was this moment we were praying over guys. Uh, you want that in your life. You don't want that to be a one-time deal. You want that to be an ongoing thing because God will work, the Holy Spirit will work through the wisdom of others. The third area, once in a while, there will be a whisper. Where the Spirit of God will be like, hey, I want you to go pray for that person. Hey, this thing that you're pretending isn't a problem, it's a problem. And you'll get this little whisper from the Holy Spirit. And here's what you do when that happens. You do whatever he says. It'll always be in line with scripture. It won't go against scripture. God won't contradict himself. But there's times where there are specific things that he will call you to that are for you. And what I've learned over the years and what I continue to learn, uh, be willing to look foolish in those moments. Let him guide you. There's things he has for you that you have no idea. But when he whispers, you trust him, you go, okay, yes, God, I'm willing. I don't know what you're going to do with this, but I'm willing to take this step and to be faithful. When I was in eighth grade, I don't want to go to church. I don't want anything to do with church. 
My parents had divorced. My life was a mess. I was drinking, smoking, looking at pornography in eighth grade, and I was chasing after all of these other things. And my mom, I was with a single mom, and she kept saying, I really want you to go to church. And every Sunday I got sick. Sick, you know. Oh, I don't feel good today, Mom. Then I had a youth pastor approach me, and he said, hey, Robert, would you just come to youth group three times in a row? Don't skip one, come three times in a row. Just see what happens. And I thought, I can come three times in a row because after that I'll never come back to church. I can do it three times in a row. And I came on that first Sunday, and I walked in and I looked at a room, and it was full of other students who I didn't know. And I sat in the back. They had this little couch in the back, and I sat on it. And I just started coming up with my plan for three weeks from now, what I was going to do with the rest of my life because I wasn't coming back to this place. And then this one kid, I'll never forget his name. His name is Andy Harowitz. He was one grade older than me, one grade older. And Andy Harowitz walked up to me as I'm sitting there, and I, I was putting out that vibe that says, please don't talk to me. You know that vibe? Like I was doing everything you could do to get somebody to not talk to you. And Andy Harowitz goes, hey, man. I go, hey. He says, do you want to sit with me? I said, yeah. I got up. And I went, and I sat next to Andy Harowitz, who was a year older than me, which I thought was super cool. And then Andy introduced me to a couple guys sitting around him. And then I started to meet people, and I came back the next week, and I met a few more people, and I came back the next week, and I started to meet different people and ended up signing up to go to this camp. Then I ended up signing up to go on this mission trip, and then I signed up to do all the different things. Anytime the doors were open, I was there, and I found a community of people that were messed up. None of them were perfect. Yet we were on this journey to go, let's figure out what it means to live in this new identity together. And because Andy Harowitz said, do you want to sit with me? How easy is that? Raise your hand if you could say that to somebody. If you have the power within you to do that. Yes, you do. And I don't know if it was a moment that the Holy Spirit whispered to him, but he, he just said yes. He was willing to look foolish. I could have said no. Yet God used that little tiny act of obedience to forever transform my life. I want to end on this visual that I saw when I was your age, and it changed my perspective on things. This rope represents a timeline. This is your life. And right here, this is the starting point of your timeline. This is the day you were born. Everybody know their birthday? Good for you. Great. This end of this red part right here, uh, this is the day that, that you will die. And we don't know when that is. For some of us, it's sooner. Some of us, it's later. For my friend Gabby, she thought she had a, a lot longer, but it, it came quick. But for all of us, here's what the Bible teaches. Our life is like a vapor. It's a mist. It's here one moment and it's gone. It's going to go by so quickly for all of us, whether you live a long time or a short time by whatever metric you're using. It's, it's a vapor, the Bible says. But here's what the Bible teaches, that this is not the end of life. This is the end of your body. The timeline of your life is that everybody spends eternity somewhere. And so you and I, when we talk about truth, this is the truth. And so I want to live a life that what I do here in this tiny little timeline matters here. I want to be a part of what God is doing over here. I want to be a part of life that is truly life. Not this little worldly, oh, I want to just cram as much as I can into this world because this is all that there is. Guys, that is a lie. 
The truth is God has so much more for you. But you and I need to stop going back to this old thinking, this old way of the flesh to go, nope, this is all that there is. I'm just gonna you know, enjoy as much as I can in this little tiny area and put on your new identity. You are a child of the king of kings and you have been called to this eternal family that life is eternal life that Jesus offers through faith in him. Guys, let's not live with our eyes closed, sleeping through this life. Let's live with our eyes wide open, going, God, I want to be a part of what you're doing. I'm ready to fight this battle. Because in the end, it's all that matters. In the end, your title doesn't matter. However much you bench press, that doesn't matter. The trophies or whatever, does God care about those things? Sure. But in the end, here's what really, really matters. Here's what really matters. It's God and it's people. Those are the only things that, that are eternal. So the challenge is when we step into this new identity and say, God, I want to be a part of what is true and what is real in this world. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the guidance that you've given us. I think of John's words. At the end of chapter 20, when he says that, Jesus, you performed so many things that there's not enough books to record it. But all these have been written so that we might believe that, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we might have life in your name. Would you help us not to live in the flesh, live in the old ways? Would you help us to step into the reality of who we are? God, it's not because of our goodness. It's not because of our efforts. It's because of who you are that we have been made new. Help us to live New, in Jesus' name, amen.